Here we go. Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast. It is another sunny day here in San Jose, California. I know a lot of you guys out there in San Jose are getting ready for that Viva Calle San Jose. Hopefully I get a chance to, to go over there and maybe ride a bike or something like that. That'll be fun, you know, pretend like I have friends and like maybe like uh, carry a bike and two bikes, right? You seen that person who like rides a bike and then holds on to another bike and like holds it while they're riding away and you just assume, oh, that's sweet. He's uh, he's taking a bike to his friend, but then you find out later he actually stole the bike and and yeah, that's not fun. But I might pull that off just so I could um, look like I have someone riding with me. Wow, that's probably the saddest thing I ever said today. All right, we have another great guest. Today's guest is Kathy Klotz's guest. She is a great comedian, a great person overall. She does so many things. She's an author. She does improv. She goes out to businesses here in Silicon Valley and tells them the importance of treating your workers like humans, all right? And that means allowing them to socialize like humans. And I thought it was a very fascinating talk about that. And uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the JMS Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can follow the JMS Podcast on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Please visit the JMS Podcast website, jmspodcast.com. It is all the content is available right there, right for you, right in your fingertips. You can check out what this whole podcast is about. It is much more than me talking into a mic. And having a, a, a interesting person here to talk to, it is much more than that, I assure you. Go over there, check out the videos, check out the photos, check out the articles. It is all there. And if you haven't already checked out the Patreon account, please do. Go to Patreon, search for JMS Podcast, and please support this podcast. It is independently run. I'm, it's all coming out of pocket, and I, I, I don't mind it so far as long as I'm getting the feedback that I am and that these guests are coming in and really sharing a part of their lives and, and really uh, inspiring others. But help this podcast going. In this economy, you never know. Wow, that sounded so daunting. But in general, if you want to help out, anything helps. Please become a, a pledge. And um, and you can donate as much as you want. And there's different plans if you donate. So there's, um, there's about four different plans. I believe five, actually. So go to Patreon and search for jmspodcast.com and help me keep this thing going. All right. Uh, before we head on to the conversation, I do have an announcement. Believe it or not... I have put the band back together. That's right. The Wandering Poets. We have another show coming up this upcoming Sunday. Not tonight or today. I mean uh, next Sunday. We are going to be playing music for the Sofa Street Festival in downtown San Jose. That's right. It's been uh, a couple months since our last gig in Santa Cruz, which was a lot of fun, which was crazy. But now we are playing in our home turf at the Cafe for Scotty stage at the Sofa Street Festival on Sunday. Uh, we are going up at 7.30 p.m., but trust me, it's going to be a fun day, filled with music, filled with uh, a lot of socializing at the uh, Sofa District in downtown. And uh, I want all you guys to come on over and check it out. You can uh, check me out and my band again at 7.30 at Cafe for Scotty stage. And uh, we got a couple of new songs that we're going to be performing for the first time in front of an audience like that. So we had band practice and it was, a, I'm excited. I'm a, I think I'm very excited. I feel we are, 
we are growing together, not as musicians, but as a band. And if you never heard me uh, play music or sing, here's an opportunity for come on by and either be mesmerized or just be inspired to be like, hey, if that guy could do it, then I can do it. There we go. So next Sunday on the 24th, downtown San Jose at the Sofa Street Festival. Um, I'll be playing music at 7.30 p.m. at the Cafe Frascati stage. See you guys there. Or gals. Or anyone else who identifies in between or something like that. I'm trying to cover all my bases here. Alright, let's move on. Here is Kathy Klotz Guest. Rapper name straight up litigious. <laughs> it, it's a uh, is it Kat, Kathy Guest, right? Yeah, Clotes is my is my maiden name. Clotes yeah. is a long o. It's tricky, but you can just say Kathy Guest. You, you have a Australian background? I, you know, I don't. It's uh, it's German. It's a German. Uh, no, no. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm asking because uh, yeah. in college I had a, a good friend of mine. She was from Australia. Her last name was also Guest. Mm. Yeah. Watch. Yeah, I, I thought that was a connection there. There might, well, you never know. There might be somewhere back in there. Do you get that a lot? Do people guess oh, your, where your last name's from? All the time, all yeah. the time. They're, you know, yeah, yeah. And then I have people that will reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I know so and so guest. Do you know that person?" And it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like my husband's Mexican, and, and contrary to popular opinion, not all the Mexican people know each other. You know, it's like, it's right, but it's comical. Right. It's just the, it's a classic right. comical. You know, hey, do y'all know each other? It's like, no, but chances are, every once in a while, it's it's really funny because um, sometimes I will know the person. So you you know, you never know. Well, what's you fascinating know, yeah. is my last name is Sanchez. Which is a very common Latin name, Latino yeah. name. Yeah. And nobody has asked me yet if I knew someone else by the name of Sanchez, which is surprising to me. It it's yeah. Maybe they just assume. Like just I don't need assume. to ask him. They assume. I'm sure they're related somehow. <laughs> exactly. Well, we get, well, and Klotz is an unusual name. It's German, and and people because of Klotz being unusual, that I do get a lot of hey, I know I knew this other Klotz. Do you know that person? And a good percent of the time, no. But every once in a while, yeah, I will. Turns mm -hmm. out I will. It'll be like a distant cousin or something like that. But Kathy, I'm excited to have you here. Oh, happy uh, to be here. Uh, happy New Year, you said. I said happy to be here. Happy to be here, good. <laughs> I was like, oh man, what, what, is, this, like, is this an improv is session? This a, no. Am I no. supposed to yes and that? Yeah, well, you you should yes and. I'm going to yes and you. Whatever you say, I'm going to totally yes and. I'm going to go with wherever you want to go. That's well. That's, first of all, right. I think it's fascinating because. Um, as you know, there's a small co comedy community here in the South Bay. Yeah, it's getting bigger too. It is getting bigger, uh, but so far there's only been a, a couple, a few of um, the open mic scenes. There's there's a couple yeah. open mics, one or two. Yeah. And it, it was great to hear that there was one in Mountain View. Mm. Uh, or is it Sunnyvale? Hold on. I'm in Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale. Yeah. Wesley is uh, I, Hoffman. I, Wesley Hoffman, I think, is in Mountain View. But yeah. I, I get them mixed up for some reason. Mountain View, Sunnyvale. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Just a couple of million a year in property value, but no big deal. Yeah. But in Sunnyvale, Lily Max, I'm referring to. Lily Max, yeah. And also, the fact, you know, because I host for Scotty. I've, I've been doing mm. that for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, one thing I found fast, uh, I, I always wanted to, was, you know, to make sure there's more women in comedy. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to put women in, in uh, positions of authority, such as open mics. Yeah. And you run an open mic. Yeah. 
do you how how did you get started starting that open mic and uh and how has it changed since you started it yeah well i got started it's interesting because i've been doing comedy a long time and any improv you know in fact i started out when i first started out in comedy it was was um stand-up and then i sort of detoured after about five years somebody said you've been really good at improv and then i sort of took a detour for like 15, 14, 15 years, and, and I coach improv, I teach improv, and you know, I'm very much a, you know, comfortable on a stage, it's, it's my home. And then a couple of years ago went, you know, I gotta get back to stand-up, because that's where I started. And I'd been doing a lot of uh, open mic nights everywhere, and uh, so I became really good friends with a bunch of comics at Roosters, and uh, they were like, you gotta be running an open mic, you shouldn't be here. You should, with your experience and your improv experience, you should be running an open mic. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I should. And I, I, admit, I had missed um, stand-up so much. So I started looking around, and then Lily Max opened up. And uh, originally I was going to do it with a friend of mine who unfortunately passed in an, in an auto accident earlier in the year. Um, we were going to kind of figure out how to do something together. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I said yes and, and d- just did it. And it's something that I just love, mm. you know. Now, what qualifications did, did they think you you would be a great host at open mic because for me i went in cold i don't know what the hell i was doing <laughs> so i'm like jesus um, is, is there a certain criteria i must have to run an open mic well you know the funny thing is is you, look i had never run an open mic before but i think what qual- qualifies me is probably you know 16 years in comedy um training at uh, comedy sports in second city i coach improv uh, i i teach and i'm on a um, business stage I, i'm a speaker i do a lot of training so i'm on stages five six days a week so getting up there on a stage and being able to move things along and be improvisational it's what i do mm. so i think that's probably the greatest qualification of all it, it's not even that uh, you necessarily have to have prior experience in an open mic but if you are somebody who can go with the flow and you know keep things moving and sometimes you gotta wind people down early and uh sometimes you know uh somebody drops a a comedy turd you gotta you gotta (laughs) you gotta segue gracefully to the next one and there's all kinds of stuff you got to be able to do but i think if you fundamentally have stage presence and you can keep things moving and you've got just a yes and positive energy i think you can do it so Mm. for me it just doesn't feel any different even though it's it's um all the years i've i've done MC work and been on a stage just felt uh, natural to me. And that's why people were like, you know, you should be running open yes. mic. Yeah. You get, yeah. You got, you got that you should, thing you got, going. You got the thing going. And then even, uh, even uh, Heather at Rooster, she was really kind. She said, you just have an energy. Like when you go on a stage, people love you. <laughs> She's like, the audience is just like, and she said, uh, it was really nice of her. Do, do you feel the love? You, you know, it? most times I do. Most times I do. Um, every once in a while, I feel like you know, this is not the business joke crowd. This is this is the sex joke crowd, or this is not the sex joke crowd. This is the business crowd. But most of the time, I'm in alignment. And yeah. the thing about it is, um, I th- I think because I try to find a connection with the audience. Uh, pretty easily and just I can laugh at if a joke doesn't do well you you know this too from your own experience um, doing it it's like if a joke doesn't do well you're like you just poke fun at yourself and move on and I think the audience is with you and so I've never found I've just never found a hostile audience and I'm really oh really um, never (laughs) Jesus never no and I I, and you know and I don't know if it's because I look like a mom (laughs) that that could serve as an advantage so no one messes with you right yeah no it's it's funny I always wanted to be I always 
wanted to be like look a little bit more like intimidating as a presence but I mean it's laughable you know I'm 5'3 I'm blonde I don't I'm not scaring anybody um, but I always say that that like works to my advantage because it's like you know they always, everyone thinks I'm a nice soccer mom and uh, they'll uh, never see my minivan come until they're under it and, I, and, I, <laughs> and it's like don't piss me off yeah. and I think it's just a maybe a little bit of an advantage but I, I genuinely really love I always feel like um, I guess my philosophy has always been that being on stage is is, is a privilege and try to respect the audience. Um, a privilege. A privilege. See, I wish most yeah. comics around here knew that. Yeah. Or felt that way too. Yeah. I mean, don't you? Because, I mean, yeah, you're going to have a rough audience once yeah. in a while. But most of the time, an audience will respect you if you just respect them back and you're there like, hey, how's it going? You know? Well, that's why, that's why yeah. I, I mean, it goes back to a notion I want to bring back to you because you said that you taught comedy and, mm-hmm. and that certainly is a great qualification to ru- yeah. run an open mic. Yeah. Now, if you're in some ways to be an open mic host, you somewhat have to be a mentor or teacher. You do. Uh, but, and for me, I've always battled that that yeah. uh, that notion because, like I said, I started early and not knowing what I was doing. Smart. So, so early on, people looked up to me. I'm like, I, I'm in the same boat as you guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right, right. Don't know what I'm doing. Don't, yeah. But you know, the funny thing is, is you do, and I think sometimes that's a great yeah. place to be. I think it's actually really sometimes the purest place to be is not knowing what you're doing because I think. This openness of just jumping in full bore without worrying about, you know, all the things that could go wrong. I think it frees you up to just experiment and not get hung up on what could go wrong. And I think that's coming from a place of not being bogged down by experience can be a beautiful thing. So Mm -hmm. sometimes not knowing what you're doing, it's okay. I think you don't have to have open mic MC experience to be a great host I think you just have to have this positive energy the audience has a connection with and really want to see comics succeed and you want to keep things moving and if you just have I think those right attitudes I think you can do it it's not even about you know the experience because I I think sometimes some of the most wonderful hosts I've ever seen have been comics that were just thrown in but they're just really talented um yeah, you know, and and you and I both have a lot of mutual friends, and and uh, what uh, somebody I know is uh, getting thrown into Rooster soon, and I think she's going to be incredible. Jeanette. Yeah, she's yeah. going to be great, and it's I, like who cares if you don't have you know man, uh, open night mic hosting experience because you know what you'll get there. Yeah. Nobody's born knowing that you, right. you'll get there, and the beauty is, is if you've got that instant rapport with the audience, they're going to love you. It's going to be fine. You well, know. What I yeah. tell people usually is do just. Make it clear that you're making an effort. Yeah. That's what, you know, if you go in coming off as, you know, you don't care for it, the audience is going to read that. They don't like it. You know? Yeah, if you're so, too cool to be there, then it's like, why are you here? You know what I mean? Or if you're insulting the audience or, you know. And again, um, sometimes yeah. it works, though. But I think yeah. I think overall, you just put if you put it in effort, the audience will read that. Totally. And, and I think that leaves room for something spontaneous to happen I totally agree I my my whole philosophy is just let's get up there and hey how's it going and talk to the audience and who knows what'll happen that's just such a great spontaneous moment and if you just embrace that I think that's a that's the best part I think it really does require letting go though of the script you know you have your set you you know you've got your set that you're gonna do but I think if you just drop that for a minute and just check in with the audience yeah 
That's they love that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. just that's where the rapport is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I I I'm always in debate. I was like, do I just plow through? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's listening. Do I just mm-hmm. plow through or mm-hmm. do I engage? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But let's see. How yeah. long have you been doing comedy now? Overall, you say you started oh, doing stand up. Long time ago. I've been doing this for about 20 years. So I started Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I started uh, here my, in, in the South Bay? Uh here in the here in the South Bay and then I uh studied other places like in LA at Second City and uh uh, and I, I uh, started my very first uh, improv class was in college, and I was like, I don't. And I knew back then, I was like, you know, I don't know how I'm gonna use this, but I know this is gonna come back into my life. Like, I don't know all the details because at, no. at 2021, you're like, I don't know anything. But I knew somehow that would be that would play a role somewhere. And, Which college uh, did you go to? I went to Santa Clara University. I'm, I'm oh, local. You're yeah, a local yeah, yeah, cat. Yeah, I'm a local cat. Mm. Is your family here? Born and raised? Um, I w- I am from uh, this area. Yeah, my family is here. I grew up here. And then lived abroad, lived other places, and then uh, studied other places like in LA at Second City, and and also at comedy sports and places like that. And, but I, you know, came home, and um, I still consider this my home, mm-hmm. you know, and because uh, it is where you know I'm I'm from, and and. What were you studying in Santa Clara? Uh, I was studying. It's a um, prestigious school. It is a prestigious school. I was studying business, economics, and communication. So, and, um, you know. I had a plan for my life that kind of didn't go according to plan, which I'm completely happy about. Well, what was the plan? <laughs> the plan was... Get a degree, get your own business? Get, well, originally the plan was I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to do investment banking. And I got a, I had an internship as an investment banker, uh, banking assistant um, in college. And God, I hated it. And it was like, oh no, what do I do now? But so, But the funny thing is, is... I always was comfortable on a stage. I was always funny. I was good. On, I was just comfortable with people. And, and I like you, it's like to having conversations, casual conversations. It's like, tell me about yourself. What's your background, you know? And so it doesn't surprise me when I look back and go, oh, I see how it kind of came full circle, mm. you know? Um, but I use it in business. I mean, comedy has served me well. It's, it's how I help businesses be more human and relate to their audiences and so it's never See, that's always a little risky yeah. though right yeah. combining business you know with comedy I mean I, I know people do it well but for me I'm like alright I just do not want to yeah. say the, the wrong thing I might end up at the at the um, HR or something yeah well that's well that's true and uh, every once in a while sooner or later we all end up in front of HR <laughs> HR but it's just a joke it was just, just, a, just joke. a joke well and I think that's part of it I think people think comedy is all stand-up comedy and it really you know as a, as a stand-up person yeah in some ways it is but the improv side of me says you know a lot of it is just teaching people to lighten up and have a lot more levity in the workplace so yeah you can run into some trouble but I actually think there's the the biggest issue for businesses is is not lightening up in the first place it's they're not even close to crossing that line I'd say most of them don't even know they're not even in the same state or zip code as the line because they're so conservative and that's when I think you alienate customers. Hmm. Um, so do you feel there's a problem with the business culture to mm-hmm. be very competitive and, oh, yeah. and and stick to your own oh, guns yeah. and and to kind of you know uh, not really open yourself to others? That- yeah, I think there's a conservatism. I think there's it's also generational. It's really generational, and you'll appreciate this. Now I'm a Gen Xer. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm suspecting you're a Gen Y or you know, a no millennial. Idea. You're you're probably a millennial. I'm a millennial you're a yes. millennial, yes. yeah. Um, so I'm a Gen Xer. I'm on the tail end of the Gen X uh, folks, and it's interesting because I really think business culture is up 
is a little uptight, but it is changing. And a lot of it is a generational issue. It's, you know, the boomers were really conservative. There was a line between business and your life. And then Gen Xers are a little bit more like, man, let you know. And then millennials, like your generation is like, nah, there's no line. You know, there's no firewall. What's a damn firewall? Because who you are at work is who you show up you know, to be right. in your in your personal life. And I think the good news is it's changing, which means business culture because of millennials, I think is rapidly changing. So it's a beautiful thing. For the better though? I think for the better. Yeah, I think okay. for the better. I really do. I really do. I think there's something to be said for companies being more human. I'm not saying unprofessional, but more human where, mm. you know, less cold, less robotic, less sanitized, less jargon ridden, less, you know, you, how many times you call up customer service and they're just robotic. And it's like, really? Um, I think these are good things. I think I can only see more of that humanity and humor is all about being human, right? Mm. It's like, I, I only see more of that coming into the workplace. So I'm, I'm excited about that shift. Um, yeah. And I'm sure humor is also different to different generations, yeah. right? Definitely, oh definitely. I, like I feel the millennials are, are more uh, self-aware. Like if, if, you make, if you make fun yeah. of, of the whole meta, of millennials, I think they find that humorous. They do, as opposed they do. to a generation who might take it, you know, personal. I don't know. Does that they, make sense? I think so. No, I think I think they have a high self awareness. I think you're totally spot on. I think you know, um, you know, what I've made fun of, uh, put fun at my millennial counterparts with all their apps. Yeah. And uh, they know, they know they're t- they're like married to their thing. Like if that were legal, if marriage between you and your smart <laughs> phone device were legal, I mean, how many people would be in polyamorous relationships, yeah. right? I mean, we all know that, right? Mine would be contentious. Exactly. I, I break my phone all the time. <laughs> exactly. You'd be in a little bit of trouble there. <laughs> but it's but they know it and they admit it and they admit it. And I think there's something about you're absolutely right. There's self awareness. But I also think the nice part about it is. Um, millennials have a the, the, it's interesting they have a high um, I, I don't want to say political correctness but they have a high self-awareness for what's 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 okay and what's not okay they, mm-hmm. and, and you know no one's perfect sometimes comics cross that li- that line we all do as we experiment but I think there's a high sensitivity to the political climate and what's going on so you know there are certain jokes that like boomers could i think comics got away with right mm-hmm. you, you you know some of those boomer comics yeah. and they probably got away with stuff like that and i think there's certain things that if you you and i younger generations did from a stage well we wouldn't do it first of all but if we did mm-hmm. i don't think we'd get away with it um because i think there's just a there's a different sensibility and that's a good thing i think okay you know you gotta work harder to be funny you can't you know Got to work harder to be funny. Now, do, do you also work with just the business class, or do you also work with like tech uh, um, businesses, or yeah, a yeah. variety of genres of businesses? Mm-hmm. A variety of genres. I do. I do. I work with. Uh, although, because we're in Silicon Valley, um, most of the businesses, you know, just tend to be tech by virtue of where we're located. But um, I have worked with other businesses and uh, uh, tech businesses. Um, you know they're interesting. I I think I do think there is a casual element in some tech businesses, which is kind of cool. Um, the most conservative types of businesses I've ever worked with is the financial sector. You will mm. you will not find more anal 
<laughs> culture. Um, tough crowd. Tough crowd. Well, and I think because of what they do. I mean, there's so many laws governing what you can and can't do in a financial business. There are strict like laws. So the financial sector is just a very conservative sector. And so it's really hard to uh, uh, just get them to lighten up a little bit more. There are pockets. There are pockets. But mm. generally speaking, I think they're one of the hardest to get to lighten up. Yeah. Now, how do you get started with this venture to go out to yeah. businesses and, and teach them how to lighten up? Like, how did the idea come to you? And you're like, yeah, you know what? This is a need out there, and I'm going to go do it. You know, it's interesting because I think it was it was one of those things where, you know, I have this business background. I have these degrees. I was out there in the work world, and I was like, am I the only one who thinks this just sucks? Like, everybody talks like a robot. I'm like, what's up with this crap? It's jargon monoxide poisoning. It's a bunch of garbage. What's who? Nobody talks like that, you know, in these meetings. And I would just sit there and like, am I the only one who now is 12 years old and laughing because somebody keeps calling something a listicle or a dongle? I mean, am I the only one who's cracking up here? And it's just, just all the ridiculousness. And it turns out I wasn't. But I, I felt like because I had the comedy training and I had the business training, I thought, this is not the business I want it to be. This is not the environment. I know the environment I'd like to work in. And I started talking to people and I discovered that, you know, I wasn't alone. Most people hate the stuffy office environment. They hate it. But they're not sure how to change it. And I thought, well, look, I've got these two different backgrounds. Maybe there's some way to merge these two into some semblance of something. And so it was just a little bit of uh, a lot of uh, naivete thinking I could do it mm -hmm. I've been there yeah. <laughs> which is not a bad thing sometimes you know overthinking is a bad thing and it was like I gotta try it and I got the backgrounds in both worlds and maybe there's a way to just kind of make this work and and um, nobody there was nobody nobody dared tell me different I mean some people told me it'll never work and I was like that's fine whatever what, what was the most challenging part about it I think the hardest part about it is um, business gets very nervous anytime you use the word humor. So you have to you have to sometimes not hit them between the eyes because humor they don't care about. Business is still business. So what what that means is they want to get results. If I say, hey, what if I came in and made your people lighten up? They don't care. But what if I if I position it this way to make them care? And I say, look, what if? Um, by creating a happier workplace, we, we made your employees a lot more productive and we actually increased your, your marketing results. Would that sound good? And they're like, oh yeah. So if you pitch it in terms that they care about, which is sales, marketing. That makes them, benefit them. Benefits them. It's all about what benefits them. Then they get it. But if it's just a, hey, how about we come up, come in and have some fun with your employees? They're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> we don't give a shit. So it's got to be really, it's got to be really, and that's, you still have to talk the language of business. Mm. Um, but the nice part is, is a lot of millennials um, who are now in a position of, middle management and even um, starting companies, a lot of millennials are starting companies, they get it. They get it. It's just, it's, you know, when you say to them, have you thought about maybe doing some stuff internally to, to help with communications and stuff? They're like, of course. Mm -hmm. A boomer would say, eh, it's a little risky. But a millennial CEO goes, yeah, totally, I get it. I get it. So that, that wall's coming down. The good news is the wall's coming down. Mm. Yeah. Now I want to go back. I want to go back to comedy. Yeah. How... how how was the landscape when you started doing comedy around here? 
Oh, wow. Um, you know, there's, there, it's always been a vibrant scene. Um, San Jose, did, South Bay did not have a lot of open mic nights when I first started. Um, I had to go to San Francisco. There was a lot of stuff in San Francisco. There still is. What places were you heading up in oh, San Francisco? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, it's now uh, Doc's Lab, but uh, Doc's it's, lab. Cha- it's changed its name. Um, it was something else before. And there was all kinds the of Purple places. Onion, right? It no. was the Purple Onion. Um, there's a lot of uh, places uh, uh, all over um, and it still feels like mo- a lot of the really robust stuff is happening in San Francisco, but there's there's a growing community here in South Bay. That didn't exist when mm. I started. That did not exist. Um, you didn't have half the improv uh, that you have down here. You know, made-up theater didn't exist. All these different places didn't exist. You only had comedy sports. That was it. That was it. Um, down in the South Bay. So it was a, the landscape was a lot less. Roosters has been around forever. Roosters existed. Okay. There wasn't a lot of... When I started, there was not a lot of um, women. There's always been funny women in the Bay Area, but most of them would go to San Francisco. But when I would do open mic nights when I started, it was... And it still sometimes could be this way, but it's changing. Um, you know, on any given night, there'd be maybe 14 comics and one or two would be women. And sometimes I would be the only woman on a night of 14 comics. Mm. So that was not an unusual thing at all. Mm. So it's kind of nice to see that it's changed. You know, I, there's so much more diversity and that is a great thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, when you're starting comedy, you said mm-hmm. you did stand up before improv. I did. Uh, is there a particular reason why you chose stand-up? Were you a theater kid? You're like, you know what? I missed the stage. I got to get back up there somehow. You know, the funny thing is, is because I love writing. And so I love writing. And so I thought, um, and no one ever told me about, and I knew about improv. You know, I watched Saturday Night Live, but that's sketch. And so I knew about sketch and I knew about stand-up. I didn't really know that there was improv and improv could could be something that I could really do. To me, it was you do sketch or you do stand-up. That's in my mind, and I really didn't have a mentor, you know, other than, um, you know, in school, um, because I took uh, my first improv class, a mentor suggested I do stand-up, and I started writing, and I loved writing, so I kind of fell into stand-up because it gave me a chance to write, and then I did sketch at Second City because it gave me a chance to write. And then people said, you know, it's interesting, you're a writer, but you should also go back and do, do improv. You'd be good at it. And that sort of blew my mind. And, and I was like, oh, how did I get here without doing improv? And then I went back and did improv, and it totally blew my head. I mean, it completely boggled my mind. Um, the first year of improv was so difficult for me because I was, in, I was a writer. And in my head, it was like, woo, this is, this is hard. Yeah. You know? Now, what kind of stuff were you writing? Was it always comedy? A lot of stuff, yeah. Most of it was comedy. A lot of, just a lot, just jokes, all kinds of jokes. Um, just jokes about my family. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you remember growing up, um, do you remember the neighbors that just like would piss everybody off and like mm-hmm. they just had their cars parked everywhere and other people's lawns and blare their music, sure. you know, yeah. all the time. And they just put the shit out of you. Um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that was my family. Um, and I just started writing about just my life. And I grew up, you know, Catholic, big Catholic family and just all the crap and the crazy stuff that happened in my family. And How many siblings? 
Uh, there's five of us total. Oh, nice. So I've got four. So it's a big Catholic family. And Where are you in the uh, totem pole? In the totem pole, I'm I'm middle. I'm straight, middle. which explains probably a lot. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> like, middle. Yeah, I get it. You get it, man. Yeah. yeah one's no. too old to do anything wrong. One's too young to do anything wrong. So. Totally. And I got all the. I got a lot of the. Um, I got a lot of the the crap, and I I just was felt really like misunderstood and in my family so I, I wrote about that and then was it a good balance between brothers and sisters oh, yeah. or, or was it um, mostly it, one side or the other um it was it was three boys two girls uh my brothers um were completely like um awful people but as, <laughs> as, as little boys are you know what i mean they're just teasing their sisters sure. and my sister was like the the cheerleader which i was not she was the cheer popular cheerleader and I was the troublemaker. I was the shit disturber. So I was the one who's like, Kathy's, like, if if they wanted to, like, see what kind of mood my dad was in, they'd, like, send Kathy in. You were the canary. Exactly. I was the canary in the coal mine. If she doesn't come back, yeah, don't bug dad. Yeah, I was the one. Because I, I was the shit disturber. I was the one, yeah. like... Who like my dad? You know, we were Catholic, and my dad yeah. would always read from the Bible every. Oh, every, every it was a religious night. family. Well, my dad, my parents were very religious, very Catholic, and they would read from you know scriptures. And I remember one time um, I, I came home from from uh, was I was eight years old, and uh, I had just come home from uh, uh, from school, and we had studied about different world religions, and I mm. learned about Islam, and I was telling my dad all about Islam, and he was like, uh, "Boy." <laughs> And I was like, yeah, Jesus is in it too, you know. Exactly. I mean, and then he was like, and my dad would argue with me, and he's like, you know, it's not the chosen religion. Well, how do you know? Well, you know, because I just know. Well, how do you know? Did God tell you? Well, I just know. Did, I'm sorry. Did God whisper it to you? Well, no, it's not. And then there's, and I said, and there's Judaism, and he goes, yeah, there's Judaism. And then I go, well, how do you know Jesus was Christian? Because I said, Dad, Jesus was a Jew. And then my dad just looked at me with that face, like, shut, you know, yeah. I'm gonna murder you. So I was always the kid that was like prodding and asking. Questions Were you and, writing at this time as well? Yeah, I I have written. Um, I kept a journal, and I've been writing since I was probably eight or nine years old. And I've always been the nerdy kid. Like in my family, it was like it was like jock, jock, uh, metalhead, uh, cheerleader, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> like I was the nerd because I was I, I yeah. read. I would I was forbidden to watch Saturday Night Live and Monty Python because it was too risque. And uh. then like when my mom was out. Um, or my dad was out, like I would sneak, you know, when they were sleeping, I'd sneak out to the TV and I would, I would watch Saturday Night Live and I would watch Monty Python and Faulty Towers and all the shit that I was Faulty not allowed. Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers, Classic. man. Yeah. Classics. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All the stuff that I was totally forbidden to like, like I couldn't get, you know, and then in, in 1984, my brother got a, a copy of Raw, Eddie Murphy's Raw and like a oh. contraband in my house, right? Wow. So I got my hands on... I was such a comedy nerd on all that stuff. The only thing my dad and I did together that he allowed me to watch was like the Carol Burnett show, which I loved. Which is good. Which is awesome, which yeah. is great stuff. And so I kind of grew up, I grew up being a comedy nerd and um, writing since I was a kid. So I think writing is the path that I just always assumed I would do. And I still, and I do, and I've written a book and I've, I help people write jokes and executives oh, write jokes. What's your stuff. book about? Um, the book is, um, it's called Stop Boring Me and it's about how to, Use improv techniques in your marketing to come up with new ideas so that businesses can stop being boring. Now, how do you map that out when you're writing it? Like, how long yeah. was the process of writing that book? That one was actually came to me pretty quickly. Um, the writing took work, but the outline 
the outline of where it was going to take the book came really quickly. Um, I just saw some common problems in business, you know, people just got defaulting to the boring jargon bullshit. And I was like, oh, this is awful. There's a better way. And they just need to be shown how. And so that was sort of the, the guidepost. I, I knocked out the outline in probably about three hours. And then the writing of the book took me about six months because I would only write about maybe a half an hour a day. But mm -hmm. the first practice I do every morning when I get up is I write. I write jokes and mm -hmm. I write my book. And so um, anything that comes to me, you know, I write. Um, you know, which is something I need to work on. I'm a writer myself. Yeah. I started as a writer, but I'm bad at making a habit. I, don't, I got outlines right there for good stuff. Finished stuff. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear the outline. Like, like I'm, I'm always in debate with other writers. So, like, do you outline? Do you not outline? I'm like, I, I'll tell you what. I learned to it's more of a personal thing, right? It's a personal thing, but I will tell you, I got some really good advice from probably a, a mutual friend that you know, uh, Patrick McDermott. Um, I know of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick's a great guy. He's a great comic, and he, because I would write, and he would look at my outline. And he's like, you got some really good jokes, but you're missing some really hard tags. You could go back and tag. And mm -hmm. so he taught me the discipline of writing out my tags in red and or yellow. And he said, if you see a bunch of yellow, it means you've got something really good. But if you don't have enough yellow, you haven't drilled down deep to hit the tags. You don't have enough tags because you've not mined the surface. Right. And so he taught me the discipline of writing um, with, with, with respect to jokes. So now I write every day um, the stupidest stuff. Like the other day, you know, I see this ad for like a, you know, a wireless bra, you know, and I know what they mean, but I'm like, well, how would I access the internet on that? You know, and just the stupidest crap can just lead to a dumb joke. Right. And I don't judge it, but I get into a, a habit every day. The first thing I do, man, is, you know, is uh, before I start my day, the kids are school, I write. And that is such a big thing, I think, for any writer. And that's the thing that um, was hard for me when I made the transition to improv, because it was like I'd be in my writer brain, and you can't be in your writer brain and do improv. Yeah. And so I felt like like that first year of doing improv, now fast forward 14 years, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with improv, I coach it, but that first year of improv, Man, my head wanted to explode off my body. <laughs> I, th I think you're you're, you're tapping into something now. You're, you're tapping into something because for me, like I respect improv, but I can never get into it. Oh, at least not at the pace where more veterans are at. Totally, right? I'm always totally. I'm always you know double thinking it. I'm always like you know overthinking, yeah, overthinking it totally. Um, and it's like uh, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there's a that writer side of me who's holding me back. If you're a writer, it's very hard. You've got to keep that writer in check because um, and I've seen this happen. Um, I've talked with like Kyle about it, and a bunch of you know people have said, "What's your secret?" And the honest truth is, that first year was really hard because I would be thinking about all the um, tags or trajectories of, of where or where where I could take the the script, and it's like this isn't a script. I need to get out there. And it just, um, so it was it was hard for me to get over, but once I sort of made a point of just shutting that, just trying to dim that down, mm -hmm. dial it down, and don't give up, um, like after the first year, it started falling into place. I started going, oh, I get it now. I get it now. It's like you gotta rely on your stream of consciousness. Totally. Almost. You gotta not judge yourself. And the writer the writer brain judges. We go right to the place of, is that a good joke? Did I, is, it, is there a tag for that? Is that sucky? And we go right to the judgment place. And I think that's the worst place place to be when you're doing improv we go right to the to the writer's judgment place and uh, learning to shut that off is the greatest I think barrier for people uh, it can be done I'm living proof you can do it but it, it just it's a little bit more challenging and you just have to 
not give up. You just got to be like a complete animal, dedicated animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is something interesting uh, now with your room is that you yeah. combine both improv and stand up. Yeah. Which is something I tried for Scotty without much success. Mm-hmm. I think a, um, a large part of it, I guess, has to do with the stage size. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. on top of that, also the um, the differences between the two performers. Yeah. Did, did you notice that? Did you ever have to deal with any friction between the stand-ups and the improv performers? Not at all. Not really. Um, I think it's interesting. It's been an education. I think the the comics will come, some of them, early to watch the improv because they'll say, Kathy, um, should I get there early? And I'm like, if you want to see some improv. And the the improv group that opens for us um, has only been together a short time, so they're not super experienced. But what I love about them is they have high energy and they're really willing to go out there and try. And I love that. So I tell people... You know the comics who want to learn come watch 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 how they take risks watch how they might try and fail it's no different from stand-up in that sense and just see how that works but we've not had any friction uh, at all um, it's a different animal and um, I will jump in sometimes and play with them and it, it's it's fun and then sometimes the improvisers um, will stay after their show and stay and listen to the comics and then it's fun it's funny because a couple of the the comics have said can I do open mic night I'm like hell yeah hell yeah you can so they've wanted to try the other side too and I think that's really great hmm. yeah 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 and uh, you mentioned that you have kids now mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. how old do you mind me asking they're they're young, uh, seven and eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how do how's that dynamic when it comes to comedy? Do you feel like they help you with material, or do you? Oh, every day. Every yeah, day. every day. And but it's it's yeah no all the time, and they just they just crack me up. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when you're a parent, um, you have kids. No, no. When you, I'm still a kid. Oh. You kind of are. Yeah, you, you kind of are. You're younger than me. Everybody's younger. Everybody's the whole world's younger than me. It's like, damn it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, when you got kids, it's like they they bring such an element of like just everyday like goofiness that keeps you grounded in in your inner kid. And and there's a lot of good stuff. And you can't help if you have kids, you can't help but make them a part of your reality because they're such a big part of your life. You know, you know, Jeanette, she's got four kids. It's like. It's like you can't help but write about that because it's such a big part of your life. And oh yeah, no, they're they're my my eight year old is is hysterical. He just says uh, the goofiest stuff. Uh, st- some stuff I can't even repeat. I I couldn't even tell you. But he's let's just say he's exploring his body and like just yeah. dis- making discoveries. I think I know where you're going. Making discoveries. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, damn, I'm not prepared for this. It's gonna happen. But yeah. 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 Now, the reason I ask is because I hear from a lot of creative people who are parents. Mm. They say that uh, it, it it totally changed the trajectory of their work. Mm. And they feel for the better for the most part. Mm. For the most mm-hmm. part. And they say that there's just a, a, a shift when, when you start having kids, when you start feeling responsible for other people's lives. Yeah. You, you take your craft a little more seriously. Mm. And, 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 mm. and really try to, you know, somehow make a living off it more yeah. than prior. Yeah. Does that make sense? It totally. I mean, you really double down on it. I think you re- really realize that if you're going to do it, you got to commit. <clears throat> it, so it makes you more in, uh, intentional and purposeful about the work that you're doing. Um, and if you're going to do it, you've got to, yeah, you've, you've really got to commit. Um, I, I think there's an interesting, there's an interesting, um, I think, gender component too. Because as a mom, um, <clears throat> sometimes people ask me, 
you know, why is so much of your, what you talk about being, you know, a mom through the lens of a mom? And, and not all of it is, but some of it is. And I don't know that dads get asked that. I'm always curious, like dad comedians, right? Um, when, and, and so I think, I think there's, I think it has to do with the seriousness of, of where you are in your in your life, and also I think just traditional gender roles too. Mm. You know. All right. Uh, so, so far you've been running Lady Max for how long now? Uh, I have been running it since March, so it's it's What's six a recent, months. It's a baby. Oh, What's a, a baby? baby. Oh it's a God. baby. <laughs> it's a baby that craps every month. And <laughs> Um, yeah. But I want to return back to this notion yeah. of being a mentor at the same time. Yeah. Because you have so much experience in that. Yeah. And do you yeah. feel like you you offer uh, advice or do you wait for the comedians to kind of ask you for advice? The latter. The latter. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've learned that people who are ready to hear advice will ask. When it's unsolicited, sometimes it's just not met with the the receptivity that you, you you'd hope. So I've learned that when people seek you out, they're ready. It's because they're ready to grow and they're ready to hear it. And so unless somebody asks me, I you know I typically will not. The only time I have to um, you know give a little advice is if there is a line that's crossed and uh, you know we hear about it. And that doesn't happen often. It really just doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. We and you, you've seen it too. Every once in a while, somebody crosses a line with a joke, and the whole audience is like, <laughs> but it's it actually doesn't happen that often. And well, sometimes yeah. sometimes I try to help them out. Like you know, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes I I interject sometimes. Mm-hmm. To, but then sometimes when they're bombing rather uh, gloriously. I kind of let it happen, you know, because yeah. I, I think it's a good learning lesson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. think, I think it, it's like, all right, let's see how this person's going to come back from come this. Come back from it. Yeah. You know, or how they react to this. Oh, yeah. I won't save somebody from bombing unless it is a turd of such, like, you know, order of magnitude that the room is like, okay, they're gone. So we had an incident um, probably the second or third time that we had met, we started this thing. And uh, <laughs> Shannon Murphy was there, <laughs> and we we had we had a good laugh the other day about it. Uh, so <clears throat> there was a, there was a there was a comedian who actually had a had a bit that in a comedy club, it was hilarious. I saw him do a little bit of that bit at a comedy club, and it worked great. But somehow it just didn't translate. You got a pub crowd; it's Silicon Valley ish. So you know they're coming off of work, and you know um, they don't want anything too heavy, right? And um, so this bit that I still think has a lot of merit just wasn't working and he could not read the room and then he just made it worse because he continued to go down that path and I was like and his time was up and I was giving him the red light like your time's up your time like you know and he just was not stopping <laughs> and I so I finally so finally I had to walk over and I was like okay and I literally had to get I had to get the microphone out of his hand and Poor Shannon had the like unfortunate like uh, disadvantage of going right after him, and so she was like, "Well, okay." <laughs> 
And so, yeah. you know, normally I, I think it's okay for people to bomb, but this one was like way, way out there. Um, but, but I think you're right, philosophically speaking. Um, I think everybody has to have the experience of bombing because otherwise, how are you going to learn how to handle it? Right. How are right. you going to learn how to fail? And how are you going to learn how to read a room and then you're spiraling? What can you do to, to course correct? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really an important lesson. Every comic needs to learn how to handle hecklers, how to handle a bomb, how to recover. And if you can't do those things, then I don't think you've really experienced true, true stand-up. Right. You, know. you, you need to go through all the emotions of it all. All of it. All and of the key it. thing is to not pen to you. you got to process it. Process the bomb. Embrace the bomb. Embrace like, the bomb. Like don't, sometimes you, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And the worst thing I, I think people do is they blame the audience for it. Yeah. I'm like, they don't owe you a thing. They like, don't owe you anything. So you you got to process it. You know no. what I'm saying? Uh, but you said you teach comedy mm -hmm. outside of business, right? You teach comedy at improv. Right? I teach. I, I coach improv. You yeah. Coach. Yeah. And do you teach stand up as well? I don't, but uh, I I do not teach stand up uh, other than uh, giving pointers to people on really how to in integrate a little bit more improv. So like audience work is improv. That's all improv. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I'm I'm not out there helping them necessarily with their jokes unless they ask me. But I am coaching improv. Yeah, I coach improv. Now, how does that work? How, how do you coach improv? And, and yeah, how does that work? I'm not <laughs> too familiar with that. Yeah. So there's, well, you know, improv is a, a set of, uh, it's, it's just, uh, there are teams and schools schools out there that teach approaches to improv. And, you know, people uh, study for a number of years. And so we have uh, a theater uh, out here in Mountain View called the Para Theater. And I'm, I'm on the house team there. And we have uh, people come every Saturday. In fact, I'll be there's, there this afternoon. Every Saturday we have like an open community kind of improv thing. And we divide people up into teams to, to who want to play and do shows. Every once in a while we have open shows that anyone can play in. So um, every week that we do a practice or a rehearsal, I give feedback. So I, I coach them on, all right, here's some other things to think about. And why did that scene work? Why didn't that scene work? Let's talk about what, what other choices you could make. So really helping them to strengthen their improv instincts. So the next time they're out there, they learn from that instinct. Mm. Yeah. What, what's a, what are some principles do you think it's essential for people to have when doing improv? Honestly, I'm going to reduce it down to just a couple because there's so many different things that it overwhelms people. When you're new to improv and somebody gives you a list of like, you know, 10 things, your head just explodes. And it did me. Um, so I think it really comes down to really a couple things. Um, really listening. Really, really listening to people. You have to listen to offers. We call them offers. So if I endow you as uh, my son, you're my son. And if you go, well, no. You're, you're denying, you're blocking. The scene doesn't go oh, anywhere. Okay, so it's like you're offering a, a, a role. You're offering a role or an endowment, what we call an endowment. And, and if, you, if you block that, the scene ends up not going anywhere. The only exception um, is, is in 30 minute long form things, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, the second thing is add on. Say yes and. Yes and. So you don't literally have to say yes and, but add on. So if I, if I um, say, yeah, it's a really beautiful night, isn't it? And you go, mm -hmm, yeah. And that's all you say. You're not adding on to the story. So just it's, imagine you're, you're building a story one line at a time. Your partner says, says something, then you add on to that. So you, get, you gotta give and take. You gotta really give and take. 
Um, and I think, honestly, the third thing is just be playful. I, you know, I can give you a thousand rules, but just be playful. And if you're listening, if you're, you're adding on, you're yes-handing, if you're being playful, you're going to have fun. I think the problem people get into is that they overthink it, you know. Hmm. They get in their, their, their head and then it becomes unfun. What was like worst case scenario you had to deal with when teaching someone improv? Was there ever like this this person just just not getting it? This person oh all the time, <laughs> all the time. And and in Silicon Valley, you know, we have a lot of tech folks which are really cerebral people. They're, they're, and I get that, right? Um, so they're really nerdy. They're really left brain. They're good good people, but they overthink things because that's their nature. They're really really cerebral. And if you if you give a bunch of cerebral people a thousand things they should do. It freaks them out. They just it's, they go into their heads, and that's not where you need to be in improv. You need to be in your gut. So yeah, we've. I think the worst case scenario is we've had, we've had a yeah we've had a couple people, um, and I think it's because um, they don't know how to how to listen. Um, mm. Listening is important. Listening part, right? is super important. And then we had a, we we had unfortunately you know we we've had cases where um, uh, people uh, we had we had. Uh, one, I'm trying to think about what's the right way to put it. Somebody had a bad day. They had a bad day. Somebody endowed them in a scene as having their husband had just left them and it hit a nerve. It, oh, no. Something must have happened and it hit a nerve and the person just kind of shut down and and, and, oh. and got really upset. And but In some ways, improv yeah. can be therapeutic, can it not? It can be therapeutic. It's like role playing. It's role playing, but you know, the thing is, is that you never know... Um, you never know what's happened to somebody in their day. So when you make an offer, an innocent offer, you don't know. And you, you always have to remember that what happens on the stage is just the stage. Um, but people also have feelings. And so sometimes the person who shows up to be a character in the scene, it's hard to know where that person's feelings start and stop. And it can get kind of mixed in. Hmm. Or I've had people get their feelings hurt because somebody endowed them as, you know, an ugly monster and then they're like, oh, no, oh, it's way too sensitive. And it's way too sensitive. And it's way too sensitive. But it's like, it's it's like you got to be able to, in improv, you cannot take things personally. And, and some people have a hard time unbundling that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true for, for comedy in general these yeah. days is, is there's people take things a little too personal. You can get really personal, and you can't. It's really hard, you know. Mm. But you'll never, you'll, you know, you'll never. Um, if if you if your first instinct, your if your first gut reaction is to take things personally, it just gets really hard. Mm. You mentioned that you lived outside the United States. I did. Where did you live? I spent some time. Um, uh, well, living. It, I did a lot of traveling, and uh, I traveled to to Europe quite a bit, and things like that. Yeah. How long were you living over there for? Off and on for about a year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you doing over there? Um, Spreading improv? Uh, doing a lot of business stuff. Yeah, and um, while I was over there, I would uh, hit uh, some improv places and some stand-up um, uh, places. And huh. how's that? How are yeah. some differences yeah. that you notice? You know, it's interesting. Um, generally speaking, British comics are much more polite. Even the com in the comedy clubs, they're just much more polite. But what's kind of cool is that um, there's a lot of underground places where people are super, super irreverent. Um, there's still, though, a formality about it, which I find really interesting because British people tend to be polite. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not saying all comics are. There's some really like you know, there's some Russell brands out there. You know what I mean? And um, but I, it's interesting. There's British comedy tends to be really clever. Um, a lot of it is very um, on the surface, very. Um, it's like Monty Python. It's 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 clever. It's not like overly emotional. You don't see people you know screaming on a stage. But what they're saying is just hilarious. It's delivered very dry. It's delivered dry. There yeah. you go. It's a, it's a much more dry delivery, but it's so good. And it's just, their, but their demeanor, even when they're saying something rip-roaringly funny, they just have that super dry delivery. It's like a, yeah, Stephen Wright. You know, they've got that deadpan, um, a lot of them. And like, you're just, you're, you're listening to what they're saying and you're laughing because the more they say something crazy the, and the straight, more deadpan their, their delivery, you're like, oh my God. That's where the writing really has to uh, be really good. The writing has to be really good, and you have to have the right delivery. Only certain people can get away with that. And I'm just really lousy at deadpan delivery because I just start laughing, and I can't help it. Um, but if you can do that, you know, there's a lot. The, the style is really interesting, and I think if you can play that s softer demeanor off against really out there stuff, that disconnect is brilliant. Mm. Yeah. What other countries yeah. have you checked out? Oh my gosh. Um, let's see where else have I been? I, I did. A, I uh, checked out a couple places in in Germany when I was in Germany. Oh, how's um, that? They're notorious for not really having much of a sense of humor. Is they, that stereotype true? Um, you know, it's not an unreasonable stereotype. I'm. I'm I, <laughs> <laughs> You're so diplomatic. I'm. Let's say. Okay. I'm half German. Right. Like, and the Irish side of me. <laughs> Tells the like the 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 you know uptight part of me to lighten the f up. It's like it's like yeah no the, the because the the Ger Germans are they're they're very serious yeah yeah no they're serious they can get they can get a little too serious yeah 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 so it's interesting but there's I mean there's some good comics I would say um, th very similar what I saw is a lot of um, good writing a lot of really really good writing but the delivery being a little bit you know just a little stiffer because I'm like you know that would be really funny and that delivery would go over really differently I think in America you know I remember thinking mm -hmm. that um, yeah do you feel like uh, each country uh, kind of we're we're you know heading more to stand up or to improv. Do you feel like there's little um, preferences? Like, do you feel like the German mm. people were mm -hmm. more likely mm -hmm. to be attracted to to improv as opposed to stand up or vice versa? You know, I didn't. I, I really can't comment on that. I really didn't sense that there was like one or the other, like a receptivity to one or the other. Um, there is a really growing underground, um, I shouldn't say underground, but there's a really growing community of, of improv um, in, in Germany and, um, and in the UK. I think it's a growing art form. Um, mm. um, and I have friends, I have not done this, but I have friends that have traveled and, and coached um, as far as places like uh, you know Sweden and things like that. So I think Europe is seeing a rise of, of improv because it's such a, it's such a you know, really artistic and collaborative art form. It really is. Well, what I feel... Because uh, I noticed that there is more improv scene happening in the South Bay. Even you know, yeah. we've got a couple of new new theaters coming, more people. Yeah, and I feel I think it's just um, the evolution of theater in mm -hmm. some ways, like mm -hmm. where it's, it's more like like theater was supposed to be to the yeah. common people. I think improv is a lot more accessible these days yep. as opposed to going to see a local theater yeah. production. Yeah, and it's just it's I think not only that, yeah. but it allows people to become participants. 
no question about it. It's a, it's a communal art form. It's a really it's a really collaborative thing. There's nothing like improv. I mean, I love stand up, but I think the one reason you just hit on it, man. It's like, and you said it better than I could. I think the reason I am so rabidly passionate about improv is that it's people doing it together and you don't know what's going to happen and you don't control it. Unlike, you know, I got my set list, stand up, I'm writing, I got my set list. I already know where it's going to go, but when I'm building with somebody else and there's four other people and we're doing this piece and I don't know where shit's going to go and they're going to say something really funny and I'm going to build on that and we're going to yes and each other and just hope it goes to this really crazy dynamic place. And it's such a communal art form that it's a, that's the beautiful thing about it. I mean, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. You can come it. from any other background. Any background. Right? Any background. You don't have to be a professional actor of, of, no. of, of none. No. So I feel like these things really helps it, uh, uh, you know, just, I think, uh, spread. And, and, again, accessible. I think that's very important. Really accessible. Um, and I think that the bar is really low. You're right. You don't have to have any writing training. You don't. So you don't. It takes it takes away a lot of the hurdles that people uh, keep people from doing stand up. Like I don't know how to write, or I don't know how to. You don't have to have any of that. And that's the beauty of of improv. It's it's really open, and you can innovate different formats. There's all kinds of formats happening. The one thing that's hard, I think, in the South Bay is that there's not a lot of theater space. Mm-hmm. That's the one constraint is that there's there's improv popping up everywhere and it's, they're very much um, independent groups that travel everywhere, but there's not a lot of theaters. I'd love to see more um, theaters pop up, you know, but there's just not. We're reaching the hour though, so yeah. this is this is coming to an end. Oh my goodness, uh, that was fast. A, a couple of things before we go. Um, first, I want to ask you a question of reflection, mm-hmm. and that is. Uh, Think about your canary days when you were that young person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you're the the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. Sounds like. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. At first, I thought it was my brother, but maturity uh, involves realizing that no, it's me. I was the black. <laughs> I was the nerd. Yeah. 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 If you go back in time, what's some advice you would give yourself? What's some advice I'd give? Um. Uh, really, honestly, just hone your voice. Keep writing. You will, you will, you will find your voice the more that you write, and write what is real for you. Um, just write. Don't judge it. Just write. And the more you start noticing a pattern, that's where your voice is. Because mm. every comic needs to find that unique voice. But you, you'll do it if you just start writing. What's funny to you? Just doesn't matter what other people think. All right. Well, Fair enough. Okay. Where can people check out your stuff? Your books? Yeah. Uh, you, you have any, yeah. anything online? I do. I do. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple like humor guys. They're mostly for business um, in the Amazon store. And then Stop Boring Me is for sale in the Amazon store. And other fine online stores. <laughs> um, yeah. And so... so did you, sorry. Did you publish your book through ebook? I did not. I have a small publisher, a little tiny little local publisher that I use to publish the book. And um, I am not in the, I don't have, you can get a physical book through Amazon. I am not in bookstores. So if you go to Barnes and Noble, for example, you're not going to find my book there. But you can order it, um, a hard copy through through Amazon and through uh, some of the other online stores. Google, nice. Google Books and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. 
And your room is every Wednesday? The room is every Wednesday. Uh, at uh, The, the stand-up portion is called Laugh Tracks at Lily Max, and it starts at 9.30. goes to about 11, 11.15, kind of depending on, on how many comics we have. Um, every Wednesday. And uh, you can find more about me at keepingithuman.com. Keeping it human. Keeping it human. That's right. I forgot to even mention that. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you do these um, Facebook videos. I do. I do. Um, are they are they exclusively only for Facebook? Um, they they are not. Um, they're not. Most and most of the stuff that I'm doing on Facebook is got a little bit of a business application. So it's how do I apply improv to business? So it can be anything from speaking tips using improv for business. It can be. Uh, anything from applying improv to idea creation, coming up with new ideas using improv techniques. So it's a blend. It's really for kind of a, a business audience, but anybody can benefit. Anybody can benefit, but yeah. Okay. Now, Keeping a Human. Mm-hmm. Interesting title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Uh, for me, it was really everything that I thought was wrong with business that I think improv can help make better Mm. you know I think what was missing it was humanity in a lot of business uh, environments and it was the one thing I felt like that improv and and comedy could help with yeah okay and you said you had a podcast as well I do have a podcast it's uh it's in iTunes it's called the improvised marketing show and it's just riffing on a bunch of business topics um How, how, how has podcasting been to you podcasting's been interesting um there's certain topics have just resonated, you know, you'll find certain episodes just resonate more than other episodes. It's been interesting. I think um, one of the things that I want to get back to and do more is people really love interviews and stories behind the scenes. So kind of like we're doing, people want to know um, from from people being interviewed, what's the backstory? How did you get into that? And people want to know much more of the creative process. And they're interested in the psychology uh, in the interview. So I think deeper interviews is the thing that people seem to really love. Yeah. Mm. And I love doing them. It's fun. It, they're fun. And and no surprise to see that those episodes tend to get downloaded uh, more. Yeah. What propelled you to do podcasting? You know, it's interesting. I think I'm an improviser and I can talk about anything. And it's, you know, I, I, I have one of those... I guess the the good fortune or, or not of just being able to just have conversations with people and I love it I'm always interested in what makes them who they are what choices they made the backstory of who they are all that stuff and so I really loved being able to explore different topics and it just felt natural because it's very improvisational mm. um, and most of the time I go into a, um, a, a podcast and you probably do the same thing you have a you have a couple starting questions but then you just yeah. follow the conversation and the questions aren't predetermined it's wherever the conversation goes so it's i think great conversation is really an improvisational art form oh interesting so, yeah i've been improving this whole time you've been improving this whole time i, I didn't know, know. <laughs> you're an improviser man everybody that's just it everybody's an improviser you're an improviser yeah yeah because yeah, you came in and you look at the microphones and I, you you said you were using the snowball i use a snowball yeah that, that's how this podcast i had a, i had a see that's the thing and that's why i always ask like what propelled anybody to do yeah. podcasting because for me yeah. uh it was sheer panic Sheer existential panic of being a 25-year-old at the time and not having done nothing with my life. Mm. So out of a whim, I had my friend bring his um, blue ball 
So the first couple, yeah. of, for the first like good couple episodes, it was just we sh- one blue ball in the middle and two people. Sound quality wasn't that great, but it is great if it's just one individual person speaking yeah, into it. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it, well, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. It's all it's on iTunes. It's on iTunes. How many yeah. episodes you got? Oh gosh, I did it over. Um, I haven't done it in a couple months. I need to get back to it. Um, well, oh gosh, I lost track. Dozens, dozens, because I did it for about two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So dozens and dozens are out there. Um, and now I'm kind of going to update it and start doing uh, more interviews. Um, you know, I have, I'd have guests. And they're usually 30-minute episodes, but um, people really like the, the That's a good number. It's a great number. I find that people, 30 minutes is enough to get people to commit to listening and then, you know, without boring them too much. And I think they have fun. And, you yeah. know. Something I, like, for me, people always tell me, cut, cut, because this is an hour, yeah. usually, give or take. Yeah. Like you should always, you know, you should cut it down. Yeah. I'm like, well, I find the stuff to tell me is really interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'll, um, t- I'll take a, to their own. Yeah. Take a look at your. Are you you're in iTunes, right? Yeah, iTunes, yeah. Google Play, a variety of places. Cool. Anyway. cool, cool, cool. All right, Kathy, thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. Thank I, you. I hope, I hope this we're good. Was this good? This was fun. Yeah. 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 Well, where does this rank in your previous podcasting experiences? <laughs> You know, it's interesting because questions are all different. And I think what's great about talking to a comedian, people who have a comedy background, is they're much more willing to just be improvisational, which is great. Okay. Um, I get uh, nervous. I'm like, I hope I'm not covering the same exact things. No, 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 no. No, it's great. I'm I'm at my best. I have more fun when the questions aren't, you know, when we're just just two people chatting and who knows where it's going to go and we're just shooting the shit. To me, that's fun. To me, that's just fun. And if we're not um, forcing a a certain, you know, agenda, that, that is fun. And I think the people who can be the most conversational without uh you know forcing a a a list of questions that's when i have fun yeah you know all right kathy thank you for coming oh my pleasure thank you yep now that's something to think about improv stand-up comedy together business silicon valley management yep definitely a lot to uh, pull out of from this podcast episode but that's it that is kathy cloth's guest i'm happy to have her here she was awesome and i got a feeling that we'll be seeing a lot of each other now now that we know of each other in the comedy scene catch her open mic on wednesday nights at lily max it's a fun fun room and you're like wait jorge don't you have a mic on wednesday nights at friscotti like yeah, but trust me, I think um, I think hers is maybe a little funner. All right, that's it for this week. Have a good Sunday. See you guys next week, which we have a musician coming over with quite a story, quite a story. All right, guys, till next time. <laughs>